It's the Americhicks with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. This is Kim Munson, and welcome to the Americhicks. Uh, We are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. And uh, be sure and check out my website, americhicks.com. Sign up for my emails. We will keep you apprised of upcoming guests, topics, important events, and offering you a conservatarian perspective. It's great to have Dave on the the board here. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Good morning. Yeah. (laughs) You have been such a trooper while Steve's been on vacation. You know it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not easy. It's not easy getting up this early. Uh, I'm a, I have a family too, so it's been really changed my whole schedule. So yeah, it's a I little bit it. different than when Steve is doing. I know. I surely appreciate no, it. No, I like it. I like being here. It's, I've, I've been really enjoying the show. Okay, well, thanks. It's great to have you here, Dave, and and thank you to producer Steve, Zach, Patty, and Keith for all that you do to keep this train on the track. And uh, we've got a, a great show and a very important show planned for you today. Uh, in the third and fourth segment, we will be talking with uh, Ph.D. Stephen Kessler. He has a very important piece in The American Thinker, and that is The Roots of the Left's Acceptance of Pedophilia. And I know that that's a serious subject, but I think, my friends, we have to talk about it. And I am so grateful to each of you, my listeners, as well. And then we will hope to get to his next piece that he just uh, he just published, and it is Birth Control and the Decline of Civilization. So I know those are a couple of big subjects we are going to try to do in segments three and four, but you will want to make sure that you listen in for that. Uh, let's go through some, well, first of all, let's do our inspiration. And Frederick Douglass, uh, he was an abolitionist, he was a statesman, and he said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Again, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And then on today's funnies, are you ready for this, Dave? Hit it. I've got three for you. Okay. Why can't you tell socialists a joke? Because not everyone gets it. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Okay. I'm a socialist drinker, the bartender chuckled and asked me. Don't you mean a social drinker? No, I only drink when someone else is paying. Da-da-doom. And last one, two two house fires break out at noon on a Wednesday and destroys two families' homes. One family lives in a capitalist country, and the other lives in a socialist country. Though the fires were nearly identical, only the family living in the socialist country dies in the fire. Do you know why? Why? Because in the capitalist country, the parents had jobs and the kids were in school. There you go. Bada boom. Like I always say, socialism's the great, the greatest. It's idea so good, you have to force everyone to do it. <laughs> you did say that yesterday. You're right. So, a couple of things. Wanted to cl- do some clarifications. You know, we talk about so many subjects, and we see so much out there. But if we say something that we need to to let you know that there's a correction or a, cl- a clarification, we wanted to do that. So, the first thing we're working on sourcing. Uh, the the number the 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 percentage that regulations attribute to a a new home, 
And uh, it's pretty significant. It's not as quite as high as what we talked about earlier in the week, at least not yet. We're working on trying to source that. But the National Association of Home Builders statement on their website regarding rules and regulations contains this comment. An increasingly complex regulation, as uh, increasingly complex regulations are layered over existing ones, the growing mountain of red tape generates skyrocketing compliance costs that stifle business initiative and harm consumers. The housing industry provides a good example. On average, nearly 25% of the cost of building a typical new single-family home, almost $85,000, is attributable to government regulation. According to the NAHB research, approximately 14 million American households are priced out of the market for a new home by government regulations. Now, you hear bureaucrats and politicians talk about affordable housing. We have to have affordable housing, and they put in programs to have affordable housing, when in essence, if they would reduce the rules and regulations, 14 million more people could afford a single-family home. And there is something about having a backyard. Uh, a backyard that kids can go out and play, you can have a garden, and there's a, a real beauty about a single-family home. Uh, Dave, you look like you want to say something on that. No, 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 go. Okay. okay, we'll continue on. Speaking of affordable housing, let's talk a little bit about California. Uh, there were some politicians and bureaucrats that were pushing for this very controversial housing bill, and uh, it's uh, Senate Bill 50. And it says, supporters unite in last chance effort to save California's most controversial housing bill. Senate Bill 50 would allow developers to build duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes in neighborhoods throughout California, even those currently zoned only for single-family homes, and permit four- or five-story apartments near public transit stops. The bill has garnered intense backlash from city officials loath to lose control over what gets built in their jurisdictions. And activists worried it will accelerate gentrification and displace low-income families. Moments before Senate Bill 50 was to face a key test in the Appropriations Committee last week, Committee Chair Senator Anthony Portatino, a Democrat, made it a two-year bill, meaning it won't be eligible for a Senate floor vote until January of 2020. The unexpected move set off a firestorm among supporters. And uh, one of the things I'm going to be doing this weekend is... um, Yesterday, we talked about this blueprint for Denver, which uh, Vincent Carroll, who was um, former uh, one of the editors over at the Rocky Mountain, or, yeah, the Rocky Mountain News, had done a very important op-ed on this. And basically, uh, his, his conclusion was that the blueprint plan for Denver here is going to make it very difficult to build single-family homes. And so once again, you see politicians and bureaucrats, for some reason, They think they should live in a single-family home, but they don't think you should live in a single-family home. And owning property is one of the beauties of the American dream. And that is one of the reasons that we have had such a prosperous society is because of private property rights. Uh, But we wanted to clarify. So right now that's not happening in California. Uh, It may, but uh, there's a little bit more time on that. So let's see. State articles. Excel, this is from the Colorado Sun. Excel wants to hike your electricity bill to cover the cost of new customers, prevent wildfires, and boost returns. A proposal before Colorado's Public Utilities Commission would increase the average bill of a residential customer in the state by 6.5% starting in 2020. 
and it's to increase its profit margins and pay for the cost of increased wildfire mitigation and the state's explosive growth. Why specifically is Excel once again seeking a bump now that would result in a $158 million annual net increase in revenue? Namely, the utility says to cover the cost of a dramatic increase in the number of residential customers in the service area, up 80,000 or 1.2% in the past five years. So wait a minute, Dave. Uh, population's up 1.2%, but they're asking for a 6.5% increase. How's that work? Uh, that's because they want to raise the price of electricity before they force everyone to have electric cars. That's right. And, and they're also closing down clean coal plants uh, ahead of schedule. And then they want us to pay for that as well. And they said there's also been an increase in business customers. Finally, the publicly traded XL is seeking to increase its cost of equity or its return to 10.35% from 9.83%. And that will help make the company competitive for what investors are requiring in the market versus other options they have. Excel says the rate increase does not have to do with its goal announced last year to emit zero carbon emissions across the eight states where it operates by 2050. I don't think I believe that, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Next thing, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold's office asked Planned Parenthood for edits on her Alabama boycott news release. Can you believe that? Now, many of you may know that she came out and said that uh, nobody from her office can go to Alabama on official business. Uh, Interestingly, I don't think that there were any trips that were planned to Alabama. But uh, certainly uh, this whole abortion debate is uh, front and center. And I think that it really started, Dave, as the veil came off on what is really happening with this abortion industry. Planned Parenthood receives a half billion dollars in government money. That is our money. They go out and they lobby. They are um, giving guidance to the Colorado Secretary of State regarding her ban on travel to Alabama. And uh, first and foremost, we have got to stop this government money going to Planned Parenthood. That's where I, I really think it's important that we, 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 we got to get that. That has to be stopped. We cannot be doing that. And uh, so anyway, she um, had, had asked them about you know, their advice for her press release. And my friends, the other thing is, and we'll be talking about this awful sex education bill, uh, House Bill 1032 that was passed here in Colorado, it was signed into law by Governor Polis. Again, one has to ask, is it the proper role of government for, uh, to be teaching, um, to be teaching, just take a look at, at the description of House Bill 1032. Uh, it's going to be teaching uh, the experiences of LGBTQ starting in fourth grade. Uh, actually, there will be sex education starting in kindergarten. Uh, I remember when I was in kindergarten, we were just trying to learn our ABCs and learn how to stand in line. It didn't even cross our mind. And uh, this is a hypersexualization of our children, and uh, um, you have to be very concerned about it. And my understanding is, is that Planned Parenthood is actually writing these curriculums that then will be implemented into the different states that are passing these hypersexualization sex ed bills. And they get paid for that. So that is another way they get tax dollars. I think it's a crime. I think that it's way too early, but uh, I, do, I think comprehensive sex education could ultimately prevent abortions. I get that. 
But I wish there wasn't such a political spin on it, and I wish it started later because I don't think that kindergartners need to know about sex. Or biology, even, for that matter. (laughs) They're still trying to figure out their ABCs. My gosh. But uh, I think this is going to be a really important conversation that we will have with Stephen Kessler in uh, segments three and four because um, there's just a lot going on out there with our children. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, uh, today the Rockies are going to be playing a day game with the Pirates. And uh, they're home tomorrow for a three-game three stand with the Oreos. And then the Diamondbacks come to town. And Hooters Restaurants is the place to watch all the games. Hooters Restaurants is my sports headquarters. Uh, Wednesdays are wing days. And yesterday the girls came over, and I ordered the Caribbean Jerk Dry Rub uh, smoked wings and then also the boneless wings. And they were gone. Before, I only, I only had two, and they were gone. So they're delicious. So and you can actually have uh, Hooters Wings delivered to your front door. You can stop by and pick them up on the way home, or you can go over to Hooters Restaurants and watch the games. So for more information, visit HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com, and let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. Uh, we're going to go to break. When we come back, more headlines. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and AmeriChick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at AmeriChicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Social media is important to the AmeriChicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on AmeriChicks.com. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. It's important that we be talking with each other, with our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues about these important issues that are facing our state and our country today. And so offering you a conservatarian perspective. Uh, Be sure and check out uh, my website, AmeriChicks.com, and sign up for the emails. And also check out our website, StandForColorado.com as well. This is the, the place where we are housing the, the, all the um, videos from the rally that we had a few weeks ago. We had about 21 amazing speakers regarding 21 issues. There's more, but 21 important things that should be on your radar that happened in this last legislative session. And so check that out. Uh, we're putting one video up a day, and uh, there's a lot of great information there. Also, if, uh, if you are interested in any of the uh, petition signing events, 
Uh, James Decada is um, organizing that. If you want to find out where you can sign the National Popular Vote petition, go to coloradonvote.org. That's coloradonvote.org. And James is uh, will let you know where you can go to sign those petitions. They're working diligently to get this on the ballot. What has happened here in Colorado is, again, this was uh, something that was uh, passed into law, signed by Governor Polis, that instead of our electoral college votes going to who Colorado says those electoral votes should go to, uh, it would say that whoever gets the popular vote, that our votes are going to go there. It is so unconstitutional and it becomes really the the majority is going to make the decision. The Electoral College was put in place to protect the minority and give them a voice. And it's important that you understand the Electoral College. And, uh, and so anyway, there's going to be a vote, uh, we hope, to, to on the ballot on whether or not Colorado is going to stay honoring the Constitution or if they're going to do this highly unconstitutional a national popular vote. So, I had a question about that because Arizona okay. just joined the pack, and now there's 12 states that are that want to do it. But how does that work? I mean, you can't even if they sign it into a bill or whatever, it goes completely against the Constitution. It can't happen. It doesn't make any. I don't understand how it works. Well, I think that there will probably. I mean, I'm just me. I, I think that there probably will be a, um, a you know a suit regarding it on whether or not it's constitutional or not. Uh, but however, you know. I, you know, Dave, when people are sworn into office as elected officials, they take an oath to honor the, the U.S. Constitution. If we in America want to change the Constitution, there is an amendment process that the founders put into the Constitution. But you see these politicians and bureaucrats in quest of power are just stomping all over the Constitution right now. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really good question. We'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. So let's see here. Let's go to, oh, (laughs) Fort Collins will not pursue its ban on public toplessness uh, to the Supreme Court. It says the Fort Collins City Council won't ask the U.S. Supreme Court to review its ban on women going topless in public. The city has been grappling with its ban on women exposing their breasts in public since the summer of 2015 when activist Britt Hoagland started protesting the ban as treating men and women differently under the law. It led city council to update the public indecency ordinance, though it left in place the ban on women going topless in public, with some exceptions. Hoagland and fellow activist Samantha Six sued the city in May of 2016. The federal 10th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against the city in February of this year, and its decision applies to Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, Kansas, Utah, and Oklahoma. Lift that ban, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Get rid of it. I knew you were going to say that. Hey, on the national level, this is really interesting. This is from Judicial Watch. Billions in TSA 9-11 security fees have been diverted by Congress for other causes. You know, you see this happen a whole lot. We saw this here in Colorado with the hospital provider fee. That used to have to go to hospitals, and they called it a fee because if they called it a tax, we would have gotten to vote on it under Tabor, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. So they called it a fee, and a fee in Colorado is supposed to go back to whatever entity they charged it from to go back to that entity to help them. But then it was, I think, either last year or the year before, they actually did a workaround, and they now take that hospital provider fee money. It's outside the Tabor caps, 
and they are repurposing that. So take a look at what they're doing on the national level. <clears throat> this is from, um, it says, money to sustain the TSA continuously flowed into the government's coffers via a special security fee collected from every passenger. Yet Congress didn't release the funds during the shutdown. It's known as the uh, September 11th security fee. Air, air carriers collect $5.60 per one-way trip, or $11.20 20 for a round trip, to help fund the TSA. The FAA reports an average daily passenger flow of $2.6 million, which translates into a $14.5 million per day in TSA fees. The truth is Congress has for years diverted billions of dollars in this September 11 uh, security fees and used the money for other causes not related to air security. This predates the recent government shutdown and indicates where the safety and security of the American people sits on the congressional list of priorities. That's pretty frustrating. I think it's dishonest. Absolutely. It's not surprising, though. (laughs) No, it's not surprising. Okay, number two on the national level. Bernie Sanders has released his plan to ban for-profit charter schools. Democrat, uh, he uh, unveiled his plan Saturday for reforming public education in the U.S., including halting federal funding of new charter schools and banning those that are for-profit. The the senator's plan aims to make sure children have access to high-quality education regardless of their race, income, and zip code. Didn't he get busted for stealing $10 million from a for-profit charter school? Yeah, I, I think so. His, and that's one of the ways he and his wife became millionaires, I think. But now let's, let's think about this. Uh, first of all, we need to have educational choice here in America. And uh, a for-profit charter school, nonprofit doesn't mean that they don't make money. It just basic, basically means they don't pay taxes. And if they don't pay taxes, then they actually... You know, like in public education, um, well, unions don't pay taxes, to my knowledge. And, you know, there's all kinds of money that's flowing into that. What this is really about is this is about shutting down options for families. And it continue, will continue to keep he, – he's uh, using the narrative that they always do, high-quality education regardless, regardless of their race, income, or zip code. But in essence, what this really does is it keeps kids in zip codes – uh, uh, that have uh, failing schools or schools that aren't doing a good job, and it keeps them there instead of letting them get out and get into a charter school. You know, my friend Andy Pate opened my eyes about school choice because he told me that uh, people that are for school choice care about their children's education, and people that are against school choice care about your child's education. Boy, you have been nailing it. I was like, I just really hit the nail right on the head with that, and it's our choice and not their choice, and I wish that they everyone understood that. Well, and, and we have to continue to talk about it because you see that Bernie Sanders pulls out those words that everybody wants to talk about, um, but in essence, the effect of that you know, keeps, keep, uh, keeps these kids in these underperforming schools, in, in uh, union-controlled, teachers' union-controlled schools, where they continue to just uh, take those union dues, which we, we saw um, gets put into... Uh, into political campaigns, and the teachers' unions are some of the top contributors to political campaigns. So look at this, my friends. Planned Parenthood gets a half billion dollars. Uh, You know, public sector teachers' unions uh, contribute to uh, Democrat campaigns. And this is all being done with our money. There's something wrong about that. Okay. Oh, next thing. This is going to be interesting. 
Merrick Garland, you know, he was denied the Supreme Court spot. On, and uh, he is on the court that's set to consider Trump's subpoena appeal. How do you think that's going to work out? <laughs> I think that probably he's not going to play very nice on that. So, And then uh, let's, oh, this one is really frustrating. Congress and the White House indicate a debt limit increase will be part of the new spending deal. Congressional leaders and White House officials on Tuesday, and this is from The Hill, um, on Tuesday indicated that raising the debt ceiling would be part of a broader deal on spending caps. We all agree debt ceiling is going to be a part of an overall deal, but we're not discussing that right now, Senate De- Democrat leader Charles Schumer said. And um, this came uh, with Congress, three p- other party leaders, and President Trump's senior advisors. A White House official said the administration would be open to combining a debt limit increase and new defense and non-defense uh, budgetary caps. And Senator Republican Whip John Thune, who did not participate in Tuesday's meeting in Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office, said it makes sense to attach debt uh, limit legislation to a spending caps agreement. Uh, my friends, we have got to stop spending so much money. Uh, we are, are mar- mortgaging our children's future because we can't get this spending under control. And I really hope that President Trump can take a, a hard line on this. Uh, because we've got to get this the spending under control. So I'm not really jazzed about increasing the debt uh, debt ceiling. But let's go over to Jason McBride. Jason, do you have any thoughts about this debt ceiling before we get into the other things that we want to talk about? Uh, I think the debt ceiling is just about as imaginary as Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And uh, there, there is there's never really been one. It's a it's a little bargaining chip, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, any president that wants to use it for leverage is in a really, really bad spot because then you either end up with a shutdown or the, quote, possible we default on pay of the interest on our Treasury. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the debt will ever be paid off unless we find another planet uh, to, to do business with and uh, sell them a lot of stuff at really inflated prices before they figure out we're ripping them off. <laughs> You know, actually, though, Brian Dimitrovic said if we really could get this economy going, he feels positive that we could, you know, if, if, you, if you get the economy really going, your tax receipts go up. So if we Correct. could make that happen, and, yeah. and that, that's without increasing taxes, the tax receipts go up, and, um, and then if we could start to really have a conversation about this, you know, reducing our debt and our, or our spending, I think that we have, we've got a shot at it. So hopefully that's the case. But what's the market doing right now? It, it's kind of rough, Kim. Uh, we've got kind of two different things going on I'll talk about. One is, uh, I think I'll start with the sell in May. If you remember yeah. uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, at the beginning of May, uh, we talked about this old market adage called sell in May and go away. And some years, pre-election years, maybe it's a little bit less uh, effective or whatever, but over the long term, uh, the markets have been far less productive, you know, from May through October. Uh, and we talked about the $10,000 invested going back to 1950, but only from May through October had only turned into like 11000 over 50 years, while that same 10000 invested from November through May had turned into over a million. So some people will call this the summer doldrums. 
late May tends to have some weakness. Uh, you know, again, pre-election year, it doesn't, uh, it's not as severe usually, but, but certainly, uh, at least this year, selling May and go away seems to be pretty prescient, at least so far. Okay, so uh, what are you recommending people do? Well, another thing that I that I watch, Kim, real quick, as uh, you may remember, is what's called distribution days. And that's when one of the markets goes down two-tenths of a percent or more on heavier volume than the previous day. And, you know, if you get one of those here and there, it's not a big deal. But when you see a cluster of them, you know, five, six, seven of them in a four- to five-week period, that, that's always cause for concern. Well, right now our count is at seven. And what I like about this process, Kim, is it can give you a tip off the markets in trouble before it's really gone down a whole bunch. I mean, you've seen the talking heads on TV. What do they say? We're in a correction when the market's down 10%, right? Mm-hmm. right. Well, by the time the market's down 10%, a lot of the leading stocks, which people tend to invest in, they tend to correct two to two and a half times the market. So you're maybe already 20% underwater before you even are told we're in a correction and you should do something. So that's why I like this this distribution day method. I think it's it's more of an early warning system. Okay. Well, if uh, if listeners, if you would like to have Jason McBride and the good folks over at Presidential Wealth Management sit down and uh, take a look at your nest egg, uh, check out chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. Your podcasts are also there, Jason. And the That's phone, correct. Yeah, the phone number is 303-694-1600, 303-694-1600. Jason, thanks so much. We will talk to you tomorrow. Okay, sounds good, Kim. Okay, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to have some very important uh, conversations with uh, Stephen Kessler, Ph.D. We're going to start in this third segment. He had a piece in the American Thinker, The Roots of the Left's Acceptance of Pedophilia. And so we're going to go to break, and you will want to hear this conversation. Dan Predovich and his team at Predovich & Company help your business plan ahead financially. The AmeriChicks with Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich & Company as your financial business consultant. Predovich & Company will take care of your tax preparation, bookkeeping, and business advisory services. Dan Predovich and his team want to learn the unique needs of your business through real, honest dialogue. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich & Company can help clients anywhere in the United States. Call 303-791-3000 to start preparing now for next year's tax season. Organize your business finances with Predovich & Company. Call 303-791-3000 today. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And coming soon, Vino and Veritas in Northern Colorado. Know why you believe what you believe and be able to have conversations with friends, family, and colleagues. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank qualified listeners, veterans listening to veterans, brought to you by Dan Brooke and Cheryl Tootin in Centennial. In Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Colorado Custom Services, promotional products, embroidery, engraving, and more. Thank you for sponsoring this fascinating study of the U.S. Constitution. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. 
Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. And check out SamForColorado.com as well. We are uh, putting up the videos of the speakers at our rally, one a day, and uh, you can uh, take a look at those. Very important conversations there as well. On the line with me is Stephen Kessler, Ph.D., uh, he, he, you actually have a fan club, Steve. When I tell people oh, that you're going to be on the show, and in fact, the girls were over last night, and they're like, "I love that guy." Oh wow, I didn't know. That. <laughs> so, uh, but you are—you um, take some really serious subjects and and really break them down. And and one that you recently had in the American Thinker is the roots of the, the left's acceptance of pedophilia. This just, I mean, it stops me in my tracks. We need to protect our children. What is going on? All right. So here's what you got to understand about liberalism. Robert Nisbet, the best book on conservative and, uh, conservatism and liberalism I've ever encountered, called The Sociological Tradition, defines liberalism as a devotion to the individual and his or her ever-increasing liberties and freedoms. There is no real bound for what the liberals will try to push next. So if you wanted to look at, say, gay marriage, Senator Barack Obama, of course, marriage was between man and woman. You know, saw First Lady Hillary Rodham and President Bill Clinton, of course, marriage was between man and woman. And then, you know, 15, 20 years later, of course, marriage is between man and man and woman and woman. And so that's just a, a small example of how Liberalism has no real defined boundaries, and they're always pushing for their ever-increasing liberties and freedoms. But to take it a step back, further back in time, we have to go to Rousseau. So I'm always talking about Rousseau on your show. Mm -hmm. Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau is the godfather and patron saint of liberalism. This guy believed that we were living first and foremost in this state of nature. The state of nature is a fictitious utopia. No one can prove it. No one can find it. Nobody can say, oh, yeah, 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 state of nature. Uh, Detroit, 1972, great year for the state of nature. You know, nobody can find it. And um, among other things, we were living in the state of nature as equals, free from the opinion and judgments of others. All right? Okay. Next, next Rousseau says, somebody took private property, said mine, and then society began. And among other things that happened... Um, human beings then suddenly became subject to the need as well as the opinions of others. And now all of a sudden, people are, are dealing with other people and depending on their opinions and needs in ways that they never were before. You see, Rousseau believed that this suddenly then caused people to behave as phonies. This is what he said. One does not dare appear as what one is, and in this perpetual constraint, men who make up this herd we, herd we call society placed in the same circumstances, will all do the same things unless more powerful motives prevent them. Thus, one will never know well the person one is dealing with. See, Rousseau understood that the moment society began, we had to curry favors from others. And in doing so, we would have to be insincere, artificial, and phony. Rousseau wanted to get rid of that so we could be ourselves. And what he's really saying is, Look inside and be whoever you are on the inside, free from the opinions and judgments of others, including the ethic of shame. And that's really what this ethic of authenticity was about. For those of you who lived through the 70s, unlike me, you probably heard about that. Do you remember that, Kim? I do. 
Yeah, and so that's what this whole notion of looking inside yourself and being whoever you are, free from guilt, free from shame, and free from the judgment of others is all about. You know, hey, just a quick comment, Stephen. I remember, I'm dating myself back in the 60s, one of the things was, I'm, I'm going to go find myself. And I remember I said that to my dad, and he's like, find yourself. You know, and it, but the, I just remember that was what everybody was doing. I need to go out and find myself. And that's probably from Rousseau, yes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, basically, what he expects is to be able to have a life where you can live free from shame and judgment of others, and you can be, you know, insulated from them. So I wrote a piece for the, Amer- uh, for the Imaginative Conservative that's live, if you want to check it out, called Victimology 101. And in it, I relate this whole notion of not just looking inside and being free, but I connect it to safe spaces. It's not just that these people can expect, or not just that they desire to look inside, with them, um, inside themselves and be whomever they choose. It's this freedom to be insulated from judgment and shame from others. They, they need a safe space for this to be, a, you know, for this to exist. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so how does this then work to pedophilia? Because, you know, I, I mean, I think children are, are precious and treasured. I think they're a gift from God. I think they're a blessing. And, and so, so to take away a child's innocence, I think, is one of the most cruel things that you can do. And pedophilia does that. So tell me so how this all happens. Yeah, so um, if you, you know, if you pay attention to the culture wars, you'll see a lot of the people pushing the transgenders, pushing LGBT agendas, are for some reason choosing to lump in um, certain acts of pedophilia. And you'll see it on magazines like Slate or um, Salon, where they'll have pedophiles on that are advocating for the lifestyle. And it makes you wonder who these people are and why they're doing it. Um, I linked into the article a whole bunch of media outlets that are doing it. And that's where it's coming from. I can't explain exactly why these people in good conscience think this is something we can get away with that's something you'll have to actually ask them in person but that's you know that's the sociological and historical origins of why these people are pushing it okay now steve we've we've got two things that are happening here well we've got more than two things but but two (laughs) things uh you know we have the sex education bill that is now law uh it's uh, uh house bill 1032 and uh, in it, I should have the actual, let me get the actual, uh, I should have had it right here. I forgot to do that. Um, the, the, uh, basically what it's saying, though, is in law that uh, in sex education, in our public schools and, and charter schools, that not only do they, they teach all the different life, lifestyles, but they have to teach the experiences. And this is starting in fourth grade. I mean, first of all, when I looked at that, and that's law, when I, I've shown people the actual, you know, the, the, the legislation on it, it stopped me in my tracks. And so it seems like it's a hypersexualization of our kids. You know, we're not letting our kids be kids. But is this kind of, you know, a, a, a precursor to, you know, making them victims of pedophilia because they're, we're now putting things in their brains that maybe they're not even ready to, to learn yet? Sure. So, um, you know, you've had David Horowitz on your show before, who runs the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Right. I, you connected us, and I spoke to him on the phone once, and he, he said it just perfectly. They're all communists. 
I mean, that's what this all boils down to. It's all communism. It's all, um, you know, some of the roots of, uh, I would recommend two good books. One is called Takedown by Paul Kangor, and the other is called The Devil's Pleasure Palace by Michael Walsh. They both talk about all of these far lefty, you know, Frankfurt School Marxists, and this is just all what they want to do. They want all complete and total destruction of Western civilization. They want to rebuild it in our own image. And so much of it is based on sexual liberation. And that's, that's, that's really all this is. People looking inside, being as free as possible, being whoever they want, free of shame, and they're starting early. But what about the child? You know, and that's another <laughs> thing. Now, you know, again, these people are, are pushing forward uh, all-day kindergarten. And, you know, to many people out there that's paying for child care, um, because they're trying to make ends meet, gosh, to think that you, you know, won't have to pay for child care, the kids are going to all-day kindergarten, you, you know, it sounds somewhat attractive. But when, again, I look at the players on this, these people don't give a flying rip about our children. And so I just see danger, danger. Now, I, I did pull this up here. I, um, okay. Um, okay, sorry, sorry about that. You know what? So I have the bill now. Okay, go ahead. To interject real quickly, always remember, liberalism is the devotion to the individual and his or her ever-increasing liberties and freedoms. And because of that, we just keep pushing the boundaries of what is and is not, you know, an acceptable behavior. And we have so much freedom already in this country. We have so many things that, that are good. And because, you know, they just keep pushing it, they don't stop and look at, oh, maybe we've gone too far. Maybe we don't need this. And there is no real moral, you know, correct or incorrect. It's just what you choose to do and be on the inside. But, but uh, Stephen, what about the people that are affected by, you know, this, this freedom where people do whatever they want? Uh, I mean, what about how that affects other people? Uh, aren't they concerned about that? You know, one of the three questions I've learned to always ask liberals is, you felt good, but did you do good? Talk to me about the results. And that's actually one of the things that you'll notice when people are advocating for things in liberalism that they fail to do. They fail to check and see, hey, how did this actually work out? How did, you know, getting, 15, getting minimum wages raised at fast food restaurants work out? How did rent control work out? How did open borders work out? It's not about the results. It's about the ideas and the moral superiority that the ideas they advocate for give them. Oh, the virtue signaling. Huh. Interesting. Yep, virtue signaling, yeah. Okay. Hey, Stephen, let's go to break. When we come back, did you okay. say that there were two other questions that you ask uh, liberals? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so let's go to break. When we come back, let's let's uh, break that down. And if we have time, I'd love to just give a, a quick precursor to this most recent piece that you did as well. So this is Kim Munson with the Chicks. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. 
Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, May 17th through Thursday, May 23rd, features will include Pokemon Detective Pikachu, Avengers Endgame, and Captain Marvel. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation offering you a conservatarian perspective. I know you challenged me a little bit on that, Stephen Kessler, but I'm still saying it. So I have on the line with me Stephen Kessler, Ph.D. It's a great, I mean... It's a great conversation because you really make us think. Uh, we're talking about your piece that you uh, just recently had published in the American Thinker, and that is the roots of the left's acceptance of pedophilia. And you said that there's three questions that you always ask liberals. And I think the first one you said, you felt good, but did you do good? What were the results? What's your other two questions? Sure. So the other two questions are, are we bringing people up? Or are we yanking them down? When we bring people up, it's a good thing. When we yank people down, when it's not about me winning, but you losing, it's not about me rising, but you falling, and it's not about me having what you have, but about you not having it at all, that's the hallmark of envy. And so when you, you know, when you pay attention to a lot of the social justice rhetoric about diversity, equity, you often find that it's not about bringing others up, but just about taking things away from other people. And whenever we use envy as the basis of social policy, it should be pretty obvious that's a terrible idea. You know, Lincoln, other, oh. Lincoln had a quote. He said, you cannot strengthen the weak by weakening the strong. And I, and I, I think those are so connected. So, okay, number three, what's your other question? Oh, yeah. Same exact notion. Um, the other question is, do you have any skin in the game? Uh-huh. Because if you have no skin in the game, then it's no skin off your back. So I had a, a real liberal lefty Marxist professor, and she would advocate for, quote-unquote, redistribution of wealth from big business, as though wealth is distributed. You know, like we have the Office of Wealth Distribution. Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, they gave letters L through M, two helpings, and they skipped O and P. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway... And then I would say, you know, business can be really unstable from year to year. Why not use the world's most stable profession, tenured professors? Now, the, not only is, you know, your, it's your idea, and now it's coming out of your pocket. How do you feel? And she goes, oh, oh I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, suddenly when you have skin in the game, you're no longer uh, as gung-ho. You're a lot more conservative when it comes to things. Okay, those are great questions. And uh, a couple of things uh, to my listeners. We will take, you You had recommended uh, a couple of books, and then you'd also, I think there's another place that you said you had a, a, a video, 
and then we'll get these questions and we'll we'll get those up on Facebook so that people can um, you know take a look at that because I th- I think people would like to have all that information. So that'll be on uh, Americhick's Facebook a little bit later today. Uh, anything else that you would like to say about this piece that you did in the American Thinker, the roots of the left's acceptance of pedophilia? Yeah, I, I really want people to understand that there's no limits or fixed order to liberalism, and that the things that sound preposterous to us today will be the battleground in 10, maybe 15, 20, or even a couple of days. <laughs> okay. So, of years or days. Yeah. so to that point, we need to be uh, holding the line now, and we need to start to push back on that. Let's hop over yeah. here to this piece now. You, it, you said it just got published. It's Birth Control and the Decline of Civilization. Okay, so I'm just working on it now. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to send it out in a couple of days, but the whole concept is fascinating. Um, what you'll hear people say is the liberal welfare state destroyed the family unit in America, that all of a sudden we had this incentive for people to be single mothers, and then suddenly the single motherhood rate skyrocketed. That's largely the work and thought of Charles Murray. However, if you were to read the, uh, the literature of a guy named George Akerlof, who was a Nobel laureate, he says that it's not, um, it's not liberal welfare, it's birth control. Really? That nothing has so, yeah, nothing has so fundamentally altered the world quite like birth control. And I'll, I'll be pretty brief about it. Okay. So basically, men and women, the married, you know, monogamous family unit has forever been the break of civilization. And it's based on this one premise. Men have an unlimited supply of sperm. And biologically, we can never know if we're the father or the child. The kid may look like me. The kid may talk like me. But for all I know, it's the milkman. Men, therefore, look to reproduce widely. Women, on the other hand, have a finite number of eggs, meaning menopause, and when they have sex, biologically, women get pregnant. Sex is, therefore, really costly for women because they bear the cost of pregnancy more so than men, right? Right, okay. So, therefore, because of this high cost, women look to reproduce wisely. Men have this high drive. Women, women have less of that drive. So men are buyers in the market, women sellers. Men are scorers, and women are goalies. So therefore, women had never sold sex to men because of the high cost at anything other than an equally high price. And that price had forever been marriage. Right? Okay. So then all of a sudden, birth control comes along, and to a lesser extent, abortion. And all of a sudden, the women who would otherwise hold out for marriage and sell sex at that high cost, high price, are now suddenly able to sell it at almost nothing. Because if you're on the birth control pill, there is no cost to sex for you. And now all of a sudden you've got two types of women out there. Women who will sell sex at the high cost of marriage and women who will sell sex at the cheap cost of, you know, you know, a date or two, something like that, even less so. And that's really the cause of all this hookup culture. So now you've got men and women making a choice. Men, we know, want the cheap sex because that's how we're hardwired. So men are choosing between two women, women who will sleep with them and women who won't. Tim, who are they going to choose? Well, and with, without the constraints of, uh, you know, Christian faith or moral authority, they're going to yeah. choose the cheap sex, right? Yeah, obviously. Okay. And so what that did then was it put the other side, the women, in a moral conundrum. 
the old expression, no one's going to want to buy the cow when you're giving the milk away for free comes to mind. Mm -hmm. There's women next door who are giving the cow away, the milk away for free, which then puts the other women at a severe disadvantage. And they theorize and fear that if they don't put out, they're going to go, the men are going to choose the other women. And that was a hundred percent true. So what this then did was it standardized premarital sex as the, you know, the new norm in the world. And once again, as sex always had before, it led to babies. This time, there was no marriage commitment associated with it. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the single motherhood rate skyrocketed. That is absolutely fascinating because I had always really thought, you know, LBJ had, you know, basically with the Great Society had said to women, you know, if you get a man out of the house, we'll take care of you and your kids. But, you know, I mean, this is... This is kind of a hard conversation to have because it really gets down to kind of the the human component, the you know the, the you know the the biological component. But you know, Stephen, I think there's a lot of tr- I mean, I think this is there's a lot of truth to what you've just unpacked here. Has anybody else talked about it like you have? Um, a lot less people do. So basically, the pill is known as the paradox of the pill because on the one hand, it's had the consequences I'm talking about. But on the other hand, it's been fantastic for women. You know, you can get an education, you can get a job, you can delay your fertility, you can have two earners, you can be a positive role model for women to achieve. And those are all great things, but at the same time, the human condition is tragic. And whether we like it or not, these things have had negative effects on people. It's made premarital sex the norm. It's raised single motherhood. It's made, you know, cheap sex. Women, women are less happy when they have this kind of sex. It's made people... You know, the, uh, the rates of STDs, depression, uh, all the ills associated with failed marriages. And, you know, all those kinds of things are now front and center because of abortion and birth control. The other major, major, major component of this has to do with civilization and energy. Uh, a couple of guys like Sigmund Freud, J.D. Unwin, and Carl um, Napoleon Hill, they relate sexual energy of a civilization to the energy of the civilization in general. And they say that when this sexual energy is channeled into constructive means, it propels the civilization. However, when people are allowed to freely sleep with people whenever they want and have sex whenever they want, the energy of the civilization disappears, and then the civilization eventually collapses. And that's really what this is doing. Wow. Okay. Well, so now when is this piece going to be published? Do you know and where? Oh, I'm just, just finishing up the editing process. I'm going to submit it to a scholarly journal less so than a public consumption one. Okay, very good. So, And Stephen Kessler, where can people find your, uh, uh, your pieces? I know American Thinker. Are there other spots as well? Sure, the American Thinker, the Imaginative Conservative, the Conservative Online, the Vogelin View, uh, just to name a few places. Okay, and just the final thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners this morning. Uh, sure, I really want people to pay attention to what's going on in Congress right now. There's about 15 states that are trying to abolish the Electoral College. It will make our country, it'll turn our country from a representative republic to a direct democracy, and that will ultimately destroy our country. Okay, yeah, and that's that national popular vote that, uh, that uh, will be hopefully on the ballot here in Colorado, which will keep us uh, in our constitutional republic instead of the, this, uh, this tyranny of the majority, if you will. So, Stephen Kessler, thank you so much. This is always a great conversation. You make us think, that's for sure. 
Yeah, all right. Thanks for having me, Kim. Take care. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about our children and the quotes that I was going to do today, and I found this one from Nelson Mandela. He says, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. Again, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. So today, read great books, uh, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. Don't